To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's going on, guys? I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on my buddy, Brandon Purcell. So Brandon, um, he's one of those consistently successful hunters that that maybe you guys haven't heard of. Um, the guy is just a wealth of knowledge. So he guides um, out of Montana a lot and then also goes down south and guides. And, and these guys, like I noticed when I go fly fishing with a fishing guide, they just get so much experience on the water, reading the water, learning the techniques, the bugs that are working. They're so knowledgeable just from experience. And I've always said experience is the best teacher, and Brandon is no exception. Like the guy guides uh, a ton of days for spring bear hunting, and I don't run into many guys that know more than him about spring bears. He is really fun to talk spring bears. So that's when this podcast took place. We recorded it right at the end of bear season. So there, there's definitely some talk about bear hunting, but it all transposes and relates to other spot and stock hunting and believing in the vantage point. And the theories hold the same. Um, so it's just a really fun conversation. We also get into to late season elk. I keep talking about this elk hunt, this late season one I want to do in Arizona. Um, I've talked to some guys since about it, super excited about that. So yeah, we just get into it. It's just an authentic hunting conversation, and um, Brandon's a great guy and a great sense of humor. So I really enjoyed it, and I think you guys will too. Sponsor for today's show is Sitka Gear. Sitka just builds the best technical mountaineering gear on the planet. Um, it's designed for what us hardcore backcountry athletes want to use um they just have such a great layering system and shells and everything is is minimalist design and they've evolved their 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 design and their their fabrics and their their fit and they've been they've been evolving it for years of us backcountry hunters putting their their gear through the ringer in every different environment every different condition and uh, it just holds up and I, I'm so fortunate that I get to to hunt in this gear as it makes me more efficient and more effective it just keeps me out there longer and uh, I can endure you know worse conditions or worse weather conditions out there and ride it out with the gear that I have um, I love the layering system so usually early season hunts all run um I, I really like like the ascent pants are great ones um for for early season i also for later season i like the grinders or the mountain pants i'll wear a merino wool underneath that i also carry with me they've got a pair of a puffball pants that i just love um that i'll wear on the vantage point around camp anytime it gets cold late season um I absolutely love those things. I also wear them under my waders. I just started wearing exclusively Sitka gear for all fishing because they make better gear than the fishing gear out there. So anyways, I'm so impressed. I can't wait to get this year's order. Um, my, my upper layers, I really like their lightweight hoodie for early season, keeps you out of the sun. Uh, I really like their, their Apex hoodie, which is like a merino wool hybrid. Um, that or their late season hoodie, either one of those are a great mid layer. Uh, and, and then their, their, their puffball jacket and, and their, their rain jacket as a shell, uh, just makes for a 
bomb-proof system. So I'm so happy with what they produce. If you guys are in the market for any gear, even if it's just one piece at a time, it, it'll just last you for years. And to have that quality gear, like I say, it just makes me more efficient, more effective in the mountains. So thanks to Sitka for everything they do, and thanks for sponsoring the podcast. We really appreciate it over here. And with that, um, over there at Eastman's, um, yeah, we're going good. I uh, just turned in uh, an article for the latest Eastman's Hunting Journal. I'm really excited about um, able to talk about the podcast a little bit, and then uh, able to talk about the the different the different tactics um, with the different seasons of mule deer, all the way from early season to pre-rut to rut to late season mule deer, and um, kind of what to look for and how. Uh, how, how my special, how my tactics are specialized and how the, the deer habits, you know, change with the season. So it's a really fun article to work on. Um, to close it, I want to get, uh, Guy Eastman coming up here on the podcast about a, a mule deer episode and just have a good conversation with him. He's so knowledgeable about the different seasons and, um, I'm pretty sure he's got a, a good tag for this year and just a diehard muley hunter. So we're going to get him on the podcast. That'll be coming up. In fact, I sent the email today over to him. So we'll be getting that lined up. A bunch of really good guests here leading into hunting season. I'm super excited at the direction of the podcast and and uh, the episodes we're recording. So I'm going to work really hard to get you guys out a bunch of good information so you can be successful this season. Um, with that, yeah, let's uh, let's get this thing rolling. Um, so yeah, it's my buddy Brandon Purcell, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host Brian Barney. Here we go. Hey, Brandon, Brandon, how's it going? Good, man. How about yourself? Yeah, good. Um, how's the bear hunting been? Uh, a little slow. This weekend was just kind of wet and nasty, and it just didn't lend itself well to great bear hunting weather, you know? Man, the, the weather's been brutal lately, hasn't it? Dude, uh, yeah. It just, <laughs> yeah, I just can't catch a break the last, like, four days, you know, and, like, we put in some time this weekend and just didn't really, you know, couldn't get it done. Gotcha. Well, yeah, so um, we'll get right into it. So you're out in western Montana, and we connected like a week or two ago for a good day out and um, went to one of your vantage points. It was just so awesome. You took me to like this rock outcropping that just looked over this miles of this drainage, and it was kind of a new spot for you, too. You had gone in there and seen one bear, but you'd just seen the awesome country. And so we went in there. It was greening up perfect, and uh, we saw three bears that day. It was pretty good. Yeah, that was a sick day for sure. It would have been nice if we could have got it done on that black one, but, you know, that's how bow hunting goes. Oh, it is, yeah. Um, well, you're a heck of a bear hunter and a heck of a hunter in general, so this is perfect to get you on the podcast. I've been really excited for it. Yeah, I learned a lot from you that day. Like, you just spend so many days in the mountains, so you work as a guide, and I don't know many guides that guide for spring bears, um, but you guide for one of the best outfitters in the state, and so you just get a ton of experience out with those guys. And then on your days off, you're out bear hunting, looking for your own, and you're trying to arrow one this year as well. Yeah, for sure. It's been, uh, yeah, sometimes it gets a little bit much, I feel like, you know, just the amount of days I'm out there. I mean, I've been out, I think I've only taken like four days off since the season started, you know. Uh, so, I mean, that's a pile <laughs> of days. It's hard kind of question what I'm doing. You know? like, I don't know how many days and haven't been able to get it done, you know, but I don't know. Just, you know, looking for a certain age class bear. It's like I've had opportunities with smaller bears and, you know, 
bears that probably most everybody else would probably shoot. And I'm just, you know, when you see the caliber of bears that are out there, when you, you spend that many days in the field, it's kind of like, okay, well, you know what's out there and it's, you know, it's looking for a unicorn almost, you know, it's like you're looking for a specific size bear and it's just, you know, it can get kind of tough to like keep your head in the game looking for that, you know? Oh, dude, it'll drive but, you to insanity. I, I've done that before, oh, too, man. where I've like uh, <laughs> I've missed like six days of the season, like 154 days out of 60 days to try to kill a bear. And you're right. It isn't like you would have no problem killing a bear. Heck, you'd have a whole truck bed full of them by now if you were just yeah. shooting any bear, you know, like you see a pile of them. Oh, but sure. you're right. You're looking for a unicorn. Like, black bears just aren't that big in size as everybody thinks. And there is a ton of bears that weigh, you know, 75 to 200 pounds, you know. And, and of course, you're passing all those. And, and you're even passing a level of bear that I'll go after. Like I told you, man, if he's five six to 6 foot and a decent 18-inch skull, I'm going to go for him. And you're like, nope. He's he's got to be a monster, and I've seen some of the ones you've killed, and that one you that last one you killed with your bow, that thing was a giant. Yeah, that was a, that was a stud bear. I like that one was one of the coolest stalks I've ever been on. That one was like I had spent like I oh mean I forget whether it was like ten or thirteen days in the field, and I didn't see a bear. Oh, ouch! <laughs> I've been there, dude. dude <laughs> it was so brutal. It was one of those like late springs though, you know, and it wasn't like. You know, it wasn't great bear hunting by any means, and that was the first bear that I saw. And you know, I watched him. I I climbed up this peak, and it was one of those days where you sit down and you throw up your binos, and the first thing you see is a bear. You know, no like panning, no like sitting there grid searching. It was just like immediate. You know, and I see him. He's rummaging around for food. I closed the distance by a half a mile, and when I got there, he he bedded underneath a a big ponderosa, you know, and I was just like, man, this is, couldn't work out any better. I start ranging all the stuff, you know, and I'm like, if I can get to the ridge in front of him, I'm 55 yards. I'm like money. And I get there at 55. There's no shot. So I creep into 41 yards. He's still bedded. And then he like, hears me like crack a twig, I think with my foot and like sits there and like sits and looks up at me. I mean, he was like a, I think he had like a 19 inch skull and he's like six foot three or something like that. I mean, he was a big bear and he's sitting there looking at me and I'm like, okay, when he beds back down, I'm going to shoot him. Beds back down and I laced him. And as soon as I laced him, he stands up on his hind feet and is like grabbing that tree, you know, and so he's standing like seven and a half to eight feet at this point, you know, by myself, nothing but the bow, just the heart just like at this point is racing. You know, I've been pretty calm up until that point. And then he dropped down, and I laced him again, and I thought he ran off, like, real far, but I was like, I got two arrows in him, you know? And go over there, see my second arrow in the dirt, and he's laying, like, five yards away. You know, <laughs> like, I could not, like, I mean, that was my second bear that I'd killed with my bow, but that was, like, unbelievable, you know? Just, like, for it to all work out in one morning, you know, like that, after spending 13 days in the field not seeing anything, I mean, felt pretty good. Oh, dude, it's the best. It's crazy when it comes together, isn't it? Because you can just go day after day after day of not seeing it. But what you really need is to catch one bear in the right spot, you know, and then and then it yeah. just can come together, you know. I know for sure, man. That bear that you got was a beautiful color phase. 
Oh, yeah, beautiful blonde. Yeah, I was stoked. Yeah, same deal, you know, just been hunting hard, and you just finally catch one in a good spot, look down and look at him and go, yeah, it's a boar. Yeah, he's a shooter. All right, I'm 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 going. I'm sending it, you know, and he was just in the perfect spot. But just like you, when once you – like everything's pretty calm during the stock and during the approach, and it's all going well. And then every time I shoot one, I go, oh, shit, what did I just do, you know, because you're inside 100 yards, you know. You're so close to it. Oh, yeah. And uh, – that yeah. bear, the way the rise was, when I snuck up, I had a perfect downhill wind, great approach through this meadow. It was really quiet, and I just knew he was going to be there, but he was over top a little rise, and so to get into range of him, I had to get close. Like When I first spotted him, he was 30 yards, so oh, it, wow. it was tight, and I just positioned myself like um, downhill on his exit route, like because that's the way the wind was coming. And so when I got there, he was thirty. You know, within the first fifteen seconds, I drew on him. He was broadside, and then as soon as I drew, he kind of fed towards me with his head down, and so I had no shot. I had to let down, and then I proceeded to wait like three minutes. And he was just feeding at me, getting closer and getting closer. I'm like, man, I'm going to have to shoot this thing in the front to stop him from running over me, you know. So he keeps feeding at me, and then finally he gives me that good broadside angle. And I put, I, I laced him with the perfect shot. I think I hit the offside shoulder, perfect center of body. And then, like I say, then that panic. When you hit a bear, like it is an entry level into dangerous game. And once you shoot one, you're like, oh, my gosh, what did I just do? And so he's spinning and growling and biting at the arrow and just mass chaos. And um, so I pull out my pistol, and I've got my bow in one hand and my pistol in the other hand, and I'm kind of backing up. <laughs> and and then the thing – like, and then I look down, and I'm just not that steady with one hand on my pistol. So I set my bow on the ground so I could get two hands on my pistol and kept backing up. And then, of course, he just starts running right at me, and they can close that 28 oh, yards man. really quick. And so yeah. pretty soon he's on top of me. Dude, I, I threw so much lead at that bear coming at me. I, um, <laughs> dude, I think I shot like um, – I counted my shells. I think I shot like nine or ten times. I hit that bear twice. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Dude, it was intense. Um, That's insane. I don't practice with that pistol enough. I need to get out and shoot it more. Like it's super accurate, but – Dude, when that bear was coming at me, I never looked at my sights once. You know, I just looked at the bear and kept <laughs> squeezing the trigger. You know, and luckily I was able to get a couple shots into him. You know, just because he was so close. I think sure. I I hit him with two and grazed him with one. And you know, once I hit him and knocked him down, then it wasn't a big deal. But um, man, it happened quick. Sure. And the the problem was is I was just on the bear's exit. Like he really wasn't trying to come to eat me, but. I, it funneled totally. him right at me, and I was just forced to defend my position, you know. But, yeah, it was pretty hairy. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's epic. Uh, it always feels like super – I don't know. I've always felt like super cat-like when I'm, like, sitting in there close to a bear, you know. Like, it's probably how a mountain lion feels like, you know, just sitting there studying its prey at close range before you're, like, <clears throat> going to take it out, you know. And I don't know. I've always felt like – both the bears I've killed with my bow, I felt incredibly calm until the shot. And then as soon as the shot happens, it's like that's when the adrenaline like kicks in and you're like, Oh shit, I just arrowed a apex predator, you know? Like, what now? Yeah, that's exactly how I feel, man. That describes it to a T. Yeah, what did I just get myself into? But you know, that's the fun thing with a bow, what you're trying to do and what I'm trying to do. 
Um, you know, and, and bears are fun to hunt with any weapon. And I encourage guys to get out there with a rifle too, cause it gives you a better opportunity and you kind of got to pay your dues and, and learn about bears before you can see enough to even think you're going to harvest one with a bow, you know? And so, um, but, but with a bow is, is so thrilling. Like, you know, we all have dreams of hunting grizzlies with our bow, but black bears are like the entry level to dangerous game. And you're going to get yourself in some hairy situations with a bow because anytime you get inside 100 yards on a bear, like he has to choose to fight or flight. And um, nine times out of ten, they're going to go away from you and be more scared than a whitetail. But every once in a while, you get that one with an attitude or you hit him with an arrow and he comes right at you. And that's actually the second time that it's happened to me where I've hit a bear with an arrow and it just came at me. So <laughs> it's like um, it, if you do it long enough, it is going to happen. You have to be ready for it. But, yeah, i got to get out and shoot that pistol more and be a little bit better with it. Like just get a shot process like with my bow, you know, because yeah. I, I just don't for shoot sure. it enough, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good, like, uh, a, a wake-up call. Like, you know, if you're bow hunting in grizzly country or something, if, like, if that were to happen, you know, it's like you don't want to be like, oh, shit, I can't. I can't accurately shoot this thing when a bear's charging. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's like the worst, right? No, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah. I got to practice more, especially when you're trusting your life to that thing in grizzly country. Because like you, you bow hunt for elk a lot in western Montana. Like we just run into them now and again. And most of the time it isn't a big deal. And most of the time you can avoid conflict. But yeah, if you ever had to trust your life to that thing, you want to make sure you can hit the broadside of a barn. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, things get squirrely in a hurry for sure. Yeah, have you ever had any hairy situations? Like you guys um, shoot a lot with rifles when you're guiding. Or um, do you, have you ever had like any wounded bears or any sketchy situations that way? Yeah, so one hunt I actually well yeah there's like two instances on one hunt. Um, the first one we I was with these brothers. They're super cool guys. I think they're from Pennsylvania or something somewhere. Anyway, we go out the first night. And we like climb up into this zone, literally like sit down immediately. There's a bear in front of us. He's probably like six foot four, like a pretty big bear and get him set down, dialed in. I think it was like 540 yards or something like that. Like not a chip shot, but not like extreme long range either. And anyway, he shoots the bear and I'm phone scoping it. And I'm like, man, that is like, that's a dead bear. You know, like you hit him. You hit him great. I think we're going to go up there and find him. Well, we get up there, <clears throat> no sign of the bear. The bear had, like, it hit him, you know, and you could see there's blood, like, you can see tracks. And I'm just, like, thinking to myself, I was like, I don't know, what kind of rodeo does this get in? Because bears are notorious for if you don't hit them perfect, they just don't die. You know, like, they're just an incredibly tough animal. And so... I'm sitting around like, shit, where did he go? And I'm circling and I'm trying to, you know, because we could see a lot of the exit, uh, like exit country where he would go. And I'm like, man, it's, uh, this is not making sense. And I start circling, 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 found some blood and start trailing it. And at this point, I mean, I think when we showed up to the spot, it was probably like seven o'clock. So we're like chasing daylight, you know, and I'm starting to blood trail and blood trailing is, I mean, obviously not like you're just cruising, you know, you're picking up specks here, specks there, like a little tuft of uh, dirt that's pushed up from his claws or something, you know? And anyway, this is taking forever. And at this point it's like dark, like or just about at the end of legal shooting light. And I'm like, okay, 
the bear's vector. He's like, go in this direction. I was like, we're running out of daylight. We'll come back in here with the dog tomorrow and track him and find him. We're like pushing through this like thick shit. And all of a sudden, like, I mean, we're just going and I just stop. And I look over and the bear is at 30 yards and he'd been bedded down. And as soon as he saw us, he like gets up on his front legs and starts growling at us. Like, you know, I'm like, man, that's like a decent sized bear, 30 yards. And I'm like, Bobby's like six, seven steps behind me. And I'm like, dude, shoot that thing. And I'm like in full on, like full voice. I'm not whispering or anything. And as soon as that bear heard it, he kind of like gets up, like, you know, gets up on all four. And luckily, like Bobby was on it and he shot him. But I mean, I think that bear was like pretty close to charging us, you know, and I mean, this, this is like, you know, we're talking last legal, probably minutes of shooting light, you know? So it's like, you know, you can shoot pretty late in Montana as far as like light goes, you know? So that was a little squirrely. Well, and especially then, um, in the timber. Cause it's so dark in the timber too. at last shooting yeah. light. Like you're, you're almost shooting yeah. at night at that point, you know, in the timber when you're walking pretty out, much, yeah. dude, that is yeah, wild. And, like, and, and those things and, you can, know, you got to, can cover that 30 yards in like i mean seconds they can move 30 miles an hour like like if your client didn't make that shot right away like you may have been underneath that bear oh for sure because i didn't have a gun you know it was just like they both had rifles and so i'm like well i don't need to take one you know it's like and a lot of times i do if it's like a one-on-one i'll take a rifle just for like a safety aspect but dude that was squirrely and then like it was yeah i mean i would have preferred it not to end that way but at least we like found it that night you know and i mean it was just like dumb luck almost that we just like happened into it you know it it means better than letting the bear sit there all night and it was kind of exciting you know but not something ideal situation you know you you do get some of those exciting moments hunting bears but you like uh you, you almost um, like after that bear charged me. Like I didn't overthink the world or anything. I was just like, man, that was a thrilling encounter. That was a cool way to end it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I don't know. Sure. You almost get addicted to the rush a little bit, you know. Or um, and you've got confidence in your skills to make the right decision. But yeah, I mean, it is hunting dangerous game. That's what makes it so fun. Oh yeah, man. It was yeah. It's a, it's a rush for sure. I really enjoy it. Yep. And so you had that encounter and you said you had another one on the same hunt? Yeah. So his brother, so they both, you know, it's a two on one hunt. And so we tagged out on that one. The next day, I think it was, yeah, it was the next day we missed like a seven and a half footer. I mean, it was long range, but he missed it, you know, and that was like one of the biggest bears I'd ever seen. And then the, the very next day, we're like sitting there up on my perch that I go sit out with my clients and I'm thinking, man, we just missed a giant yesterday. We killed one the day before. Like, this is an amazing hunt. You know, like this is like all time conditions and it was getting to be pretty late in the day and I hadn't seen a bear yet. And I see this one, I spot him at like almost six o'clock and my kind of cutoff time at that perch is about six thirty Cause you just, you run out of daylight chasing them, you know? Anyway, like this bear is just a giant. You can tell from two miles away with the binos that it's huge you know not it wasn't as long as the other one it was only like he taped out at six foot seven but physically i mean it looked like a volkswagen sitting on that hillside you know and so i get all jacked up and i'm like all right guys let's go let's go let's go 
get everybody like packed up in the car, rage over there. You know, we lose sight of this bear completely for two hours and we're just going on hopes and dreams, you know, and we're like easing up this ridge and I'm telling, Oh, and I'm like, dude, this is, if this happens, this is going to happen like real fast. You know, it's not going to be like set up and shoot. It's going to be like, we're going to be on him. Well, I'm, I'm like easing up this ridge and I mean, it's like sheep country. It's super steep. And I'm just like peeking over these little rises in the, in the ridge line, you know, and all of a sudden I just like see the bear at 65 yards and I'm just like, holy shit, he's right there. And so I'm holding the rifle and I like rack a shell, like super quiet. I turned to Owen, I'm like, he's right there. And he's like, how far? And I'm like, he's 65 yards. Well, his eyes are about like the size of dinner plates at this point. You know, <laughs> we were expecting him to be like 120 to 200 yards out, you know, and he's right on us. And so I get Owen on the gun, we creep up over the rise. And at this point, the bear's feeding towards us. And he keeps coming in, keeps coming in. I mean, he's at like 50, 45, 40, 35. And then like, I'm just sitting there thinking, man, this is like physically the biggest black bear I've ever seen. And if he keeps coming, I don't know what we're going to do. You know, it's just like, he's at, at that range. I mean, you're talking like real close. I mean, that a bear that size could a hundred percent kill you, you know, like, and he's an ape was the apex bear in that, in that area you know thankfully the bear turned broadside at like 32 yards and he shot him and the bear like i mean just starts rolling immediately doing that like bite thing that they do when they get hit you know they like start biting at the exit wound or the entry wound and he literally like rolled within like 20 yards of us you know as he's like rolling down the mountain it was so crazy he rolled like 200 vertical feet like in seconds you know but it was like that was squirrely because that bear if he would have seen us you you know you got to toss a coin whether he's going to charge you or run you know because we're just sitting there hunkered down like we didn't look too big (laughs) (laughs) especially like an apex predator dude i know the exact bear you're talking about it's that one with just that giant melon on him he just looks like a prehistoric beast like that's got to be one of the bigger bears that i've ever even seen like he is just so big and and to get a big bear you know, it's not just age, like it's age and genetics. Like they're all built so different, but that was a tank of a bear. I'm thinking of the right one, aren't I? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's just like the picture. I mean, the guy's sitting behind him and it's not like one of those pictures where you have the client sit like 10 feet behind it. You know I mean? <laughs> he's literally like almost touching it. And I mean, that bear's head, I mean, you look at like the steering wheel on your truck and that's kind of what I compare it to. You know, it, it was like that around. I don't, you know, I didn't like officially measure it. We skinned it out. I think the skull was like 21 inches or something like that. I mean, it was like huge, but when I put it in my pack, like the, the bear's nose, like looked like it like dwarfed my backpack, you know, (laughs) like unreal. Dude. So you can find that like on your Instagram, Brandon Purcell. What's your Instagram, Brandon? 
Uh, it's Brandon Purcell, 88. Uh, so you can find that picture on there, and then I'll try to repost it when we put out this podcast. Dude, that thing is a dinosaur of a bear. And it's weird with bears. Like, So you say 21-inch skull. Well, what's the difference between you know, a 19, 21-inch skull? It's only two inches in the width and the length. You wouldn't think like an inch in width, inch in length would make that big a difference on a bear head. But like all the meat on the head, just they're so much bigger, like an inch or two inches makes such a difference dude i can't imagine what that bear's head looked like in the picture it's like the biggest bear i've ever seen your biggest black bear i've ever seen and like you say you oh, measured yeah. six foot seven but what a dinosaur of a bear that thing was a giant dude yeah and that was like yeah because like six foot seven i mean i'm not saying that's a short bear but i mean in that country there's huge bears i mean there's legit seven footers and i'm not discounting that bear's length at all but the bear's girth, I think, was the most impressive thing because, you know, with bears, I mean, if you kill a six-footer, I mean, it's still a big bear, but you get up to it, and there's there's definitely, with bears, I feel like above any other animal, there's ground shrinkage. You know, you, like, get up to it, and you're like, oh, once they're dead, they're kind of like, that's not, you know, that's not that big <clears throat> when you walk up to it. That bear, I had a hard time moving you know, because there's nothing, I mean, on a bear, you don't have, like, antlers to, like, horse the thing around, you know, and, like, get into position. Like, me and Owen had a hell of a time just getting that thing. He was, like, wedged into a tree when we got up to him, and we had a hell of a time just getting him out into the open so we could take pictures of him, you know. And we were, like, I'm, like, grabbing onto his teeth. He's, like, we're trying to use his paws to pull him. I mean, it it, it sucked. You know, it was just, like, like, quartering that thing out, it was, like, elk quarters, you know, like, huge I just couldn't believe it. And then he just barrel chested as can be, you know, and it was like, I mean, it was, it was a, you know, a serious pack out on that one. Man, there's levels to those things, isn't there? Like you can kill a six foot bear that's uh, uh, maybe uh, 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 lanky and, you know, uh, uh, you know, isn't, you know, isn't like a, a, a giant bear, like almost a, um, you know, a six foot, he's got a decent head on him, a little bit lengthy, or you can kill a six footer that is just barrel chested, like you say. And so that six foot seven you killed, he was so big, like he had to be six foot seven, like around his chest, like his just their body cavity. Oh, yeah. It's like a barrel or something or like a giant lot, like it's just so big. They get as big around as they do long. And, and uh, yeah, that was definitely a giant one. But yeah, when you kill a giant one, there's no moving those things around. Like you're talking three to four hundred nope. pounds of just meat and muscle, and like you just can't even move those things to take care of them. So I know what you're yeah. talking about. I've never killed one quite that size, but I've killed some big ones over the years. But yeah, there is levels to those things for sure. And and so those are the types of bears that you're looking for. Yeah, I like that's what I've. I mean, I had one earlier this season that was. I mean, it that. That bear in particular we're talking about, I mean, that is like a true unicorn. And I, I mean, I hope to kill one like that in my lifetime. I'd definitely be happy with one that wasn't quite that big. Yeah, me um, too. <laughs> but I was on a good one in that drainage that you and I hunted. And, you know, I just couldn't, couldn't get it done. And, you know, I, I didn't take a shot and I'm more satisfied with myself for not taking a bad shot and wounding that bear than I would have been with, you know, shooting it, wounding it, and then, like, having to track it down. You know, it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, good You got to, like, you know, you got to understand, like, those, you know, at a certain point, yeah, it's 
you want to get one, but you don't want to like wound a, an animal in the process. You know, it's like you want to take ethical shots and I just didn't have in what my mind was an ethical shot at it. You know, it was probably a, I think that bear is probably over six and a half, you know, and just a little bit more lanky than that big one. But, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, no, that was a good bear. Yeah, you were close to that one. Um, I like how far you sent it on that bear. Like, it seems like that's bear hunting summed up as you sit on the vantage points. And a lot of days you don't see one or, some, you know, some days you won't see one. But then there's there's days where you see multiple or sometimes you see a shooter bear and you just don't get a play on him because he appears and then disappears and he's just gone out of your life. Um, but when you get your chance and he's out there and you think you can get to him, it's in full send mode. Like uh, when we saw yeah. that black one, we went together and um, he wasn't as far as you went for that other one, but across the draw on that. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just typical bear hunting is you finally see the one in the right position. You watch him for 10 minutes, see what he's going to do. And then we ran all the way down the, the hillside, <laughs> you know, a couple thousand vertical feet. I felt it in my quads the next day, yeah. by the way. And uh, got down. My and legs then... were shaking. <laughs> Good. My I'm glad I'm not the only so one. So bad. <laughs> I was like, oh man, when I got to the bottom, my legs are like quivering. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have ran so fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, dude, it isn't just running downhill. Like that, that hillside was so steep and so slick. Like it was almost a controlled slide run down the whole thing. Oh, yeah, that was squirrely. And then I'm trying to go up the other side, and I'm like, you know, you got to push yourself to go. And I'm like, this sucks. Right? Or the, you know, the wet that, wade in the creek, we couldn't find our log we had crossed on. <laughs> and so we just wet waded. And so then we got wet feet for the rest of the night, you know, wet legs. But... Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Dude, we uh, made a good approach on that bear. I'm surprised that thing wasn't there when we got there. I know. I, I really felt like when we saw it, I was like, man, it's just hanging out in that green stuff. I think it's just going to stay there because normally that's what they do in the evenings. If you can catch them at that, like, you know, last two hours of daylight, they generally don't go too far. But obviously that one didn't stick around. Yeah, I know we didn't spook it. We had such a good wind and such a good approach. You know, he just wandered off. They're just so good at disappearing. They're like a. They're just uh, like shadow bear. They just hide in the shadows. And sometimes you don't even see them escape. Like you you see them go into a patch of timber and you're like, oh, that bear's in that timber, you know. And you'll take the whole day to get over there and set up for an evening thinking he'll come out. And he's just gone. He's nowhere to be found. They're just so good at, at disappearing. Oh, yeah. Never to be seen again. <laughs> Dude, it's so the truth. <laughs> but yeah, so it's been um, raining out. It's a tough conditions, hasn't it been? Like it's been tough over here too. You just don't have enough time to find one, or the evenings it'll rain in, or the cloud cover. It's been rough. But hopefully these. It seems like season was a little late this year, so hopefully you'll have a good uh, last couple weeks, anyways. Yeah, for sure. This is, I I don't, I mean, everybody that I've talked to has been like, man, it's been so cold this year, you know, like for our spring. I mean, I, I don't like to like put blame on anything for like not being successful, I guess. It's just kind of like, it is what it is. But this year, I, I mean, you know, we're a lot lower elevation than you guys are, but it's, it's been like two weeks behind. I mean, the whole April was like, just cold and we never really got any warm weather so you didn't get this massive green up you know and i don't know and you know now that it's finally green i don't think that the bears are quite doing what they normally do you know it's just kind of a weird it's been a weird year a weird spring and it's getting better but 
dude, even this weekend was like, there was, I think Saturday and Sunday were both like pretty cold and wet and miserable. And, you know, the two things bears really don't love are rain and wind. Yeah. That, that'll put them away for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you got to, um, so like we talked about it a little bit on the vantage point, but I want to get into like, you see so many hunters that prepare and come out and come out for a Western bear hunt and then, um, you take them out, but it, it was surprising for me to hear, I guess it wasn't surprising because I've ran into this too, just how tough it is to execute a good shot and how many people miss when they get that shot of a lifetime. Man, it's so much easier said than done executing on an animal. Like, what do you try to tell guys when they're setting up for a shot or how do you try to prepare guys for their shot when you're in the field? Man, it's tough. I think the biggest thing, I mean, and I don't know what it is specifically about bears, but I've seen more people miss bears than anything else. I mean, part of that I think is their body size is misleading. You know, you think and you see that bear over there and you're like, Oh, that's a that's a big bear. In the reality though, I mean most of those bears that are if bears under five and a half feet is almost gonna look like a golden retriever when you get up to it. A little bit more muscular, but I mean the body cavity isn't that much bigger, you know, so it's like they don't have these big chest like an elk or a deer do to aim at and a lot of guys miss you know you're you're shooting at like a pie plate almost you know you're not like it's not this lung cavity that's the size of a five gallon bucket you know it's you're literally shooting at a pie plate and you know we try to take guys out to the range when they first get there and we spend some range time making sure their guns are dialed trying to get them you know pretty dang close to the bullseye just because there's just such a small margin for error on bears um and you know the the things that help a lot of guys out you know is just shooting a lot like shooting at home not just like coming on the hunt and then they're like oh i haven't shot in six months and i'm just gonna you know just pound out a couple rounds and i should be good to go you know it's not like it's not like shooting a deer where you got a pretty good sized chest chest cavity you're like you got to lot smaller target than deer or elk i think that throws a lot of guys off because they think oh well i don't got to just bury those crosshairs perfectly but it's like on bears you have to shoot really well to kill them because they're not gonna like you hit one in the guts or you hit one weird you hit one forward like in front of the lungs and you are never gonna find that thing you know and it's just it's tough and i think that people get rattled on bears because it you know, and I, I've, I've tossed this around in my mind as to why this happens, you know, and I, I just, what I've come up with is I think that when you get a bear in the scope, I mean, it zooms that thing in and it kind of makes it real, I guess. And, you know, humans have had conflicts with bears since the dawn of time. And so I think there's like a primal fear almost, not that it's like a, not that they're like cognizant of that, but there's like, there's a subconscious thing that guys like when they see that bear, I think like a moment of like fear almost comes through them when they have it in the scope. And I think a lot of guys, just, it just rattles them and then they can't execute that shot as well as they can. And, you know, you're with bears, you're never like just posted up on like a flat spot where you can lay down and like get prone and shoot. Well, like you're always on some squirrely hillside trying to shoot across or like trying to like stack backpacks, you know, it's never like a perfect setup. And that's hard to practice for, especially when you get hunters from out east, you know. 
Yeah. Well, and it's just not it's not a given with a rifle. It's um, easier said than done. And I think you gave a good point there. It's just working with your weapon and building confidence and knowing it inside and out and just knowing like walking around with confidence is so important, too. And you bring up another good point of shooting a pie plate like those bears. They're deceiving, too, with their hide and their hair. Their body kind of looks bigger than it is. And like you say, Black bears just aren't that big in size, and actually their vitals are a third the size of a whitetail. And so, like, their their lungs and their heart, it's not that big a target to aim for. And you're right. If you don't hit a bear perfect, you don't get them. They are just a tough animal, you know. And so you got to make a precision shot. And uh, I also like what you said, like this primal – like it, it's built in our DNA from 200,000 years of roaming country where there's predators and bears around. Like you do, you almost get this, this, this primal reaction when you have a bear in the scope and it's real and it's going to happen, you know, and it, it's part of the excitement, but yeah, boy, it's got to be frustrating for you when you work so hard and opportunities on, on shooter bears, there's so few and far between that that guy that's coming out for a week, he may get one opportunity, you know, that may be all he gets, you know, and so it's so pressure filled too when you do get an opportunity, but yeah, man, that's got to be tough on you when you work so hard to get a guy a chance and then, you know, to watch him airball it, you know, maybe not one, maybe multiple <laughs> times too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, I bet it makes I, you. It used be- to bother me. A- I'm sorry. I bet yeah. you it makes you a better uh, shot, better execution, being around these guys and watching misses. I bet you when you go into your season, whether you're shooting a rifle or a bow or whatever you're hunting with, I bet you're dialed in just because you've seen it happen. For sure. And yeah, I just try. I mean, you want to be lethal with your weapon. You know, it's like you don't want to be like, and you know, I don't know. There's different levels of guys that come out. Some guys come out for fun. Some guys come out on a vacation and some guys come out to kill stuff, you know, and it's like generally the guys that come out to kill have shot their gun a lot and they're like pretty lethal with it. The guys that are here on vacation or a work trip generally aren't tremendous shooters, you know, and that like, man, talk about like handicapping you, I guess, because a lot of that country is, is very well suited for, three to 600 yards shots, you know, that, or you're going to be 30. So it's like, we get a lot of, you know, a lot of people from out East, I'm not knocking them at all, but it's hard to find places out there to shoot that far. You know, I mean, 600 yards. I mean, you might have 10 houses on, you know, 10, 15 houses on a, on a acreage that big, you know, it's hard to find guys that come out from out East. It's hard for them to find ranges where they can shoot past, 300 yards you know um but you know if where there's a will there's a way there's always a way to do it but you know it's always kind of not disheartening but it's like you know they're coming out west on a on a hunt and you know you'll get guys i had guys the first week that couldn't really shoot beyond 100 yards you know and it's just like uh, you know what do you do they're not you're not as stealthy in the woods if you don't spend a lot of time in the woods so it's like and then to handicap yourself with only really being able to shoot like maybe 200 yards. I mean, that's tough. That's really tough to get it done. You know, man, it's so it's tough, like, especially but, when you just have a week too. you know? Yeah. If you have the whole oh, season dude. and have to get within 200 yards, yeah, you can probably make that happen at some point, but in one week, that's like trying to capture lightning in a bottle. <laughs> yeah. <for sure. laughs> that's not about sums it up. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's your job description. <laughs> 
I'm a lightning wrangler, bro. <laughs> That's so true. Huh. Yeah, it's wild. Well, and you do uh, a lot of uh, – we talked a lot about, like, late-season elk hunting. Uh, you've done really good and killed some really good bulls in that late season all on public ground. Uh, that's a fun time of year to hunt. But, boy, you got to be dialed in with your rifle that time of year. Oh, man, do you ever. And, like, yeah, I got really lucky and harvested that really big bull two years ago. Um, and just there's a lot – there's a lot of stuff that I love about it. I love the weather. I just think that like the gnarlier, the weather kind of like the cooler, like the experience is. you know, it's like that much more radical to like be out there and like, you're just, you're not only hunting, but you're surviving. You know I mean? When it's like you're sitting on a glassing knob and it's probably 10 below zero. I mean, it's like you're in every puffy layer you have, every layer you got, and you're still freezing, you know, and you're trying to like, keep your head in the game and being like, I got a glass, you know, try to sit up here in glass all day, find one to either go after today or tomorrow, you know? And I like that I can take time for myself during that period of time, because trying to take hunters out is really tough because then they're just basically surviving. They're not even hunting at that point, you know? But for me, like, I don't know. I love archery elk hunting. I've always loved it, but in recent years, for whatever reason, I've just had this pull towards this, like, late rifle you know gnarly weather gnarly country because you're basically like mountaineering at a certain point with a gun and then trying to kill a 800 pound animal on top of that you know it's it's pretty sick i it's hard to find anything i guess in my price range for hunts that like can really compare to that you know yeah, I love those blue collar hunts. And like you're saying, I learned so much. Like, that's where I cut my teeth, like, really getting into Western hunting. I grew up hunting blacktails and Roosevelt's and moved out to Montana. And then my opportunity, I'd hunt the bow season, and you know, I just wasn't proficient or good enough yet. And also, like, I had more of a trophy hunter's mindset where I was really looking for a good six point. I had started hunting sheds, and so I knew what a 320 bull looked like, or a 330 bull looked like, or a 350 or a 360. And so, like, I really really wanted to kill big bulls and it to me at that point like my mindset was you know i don't care which weapon i kill them with i just want to kill a big one and so i'd hunt the bow season and try to kill one but i wouldn't i wouldn't shoot a raghorn or something i'd save my tag for that late season and man i learned so many valuable lessons hunting in that late season and i like what you said um mountaineering with your rifle it is mountaineering and surviving like if you don't play your cards right you may just be a popsicle and freeze to death up there like there are no guarantees (laughs) i I make a fire everywhere i go that time of year there's little fire rings on every little knob and vantage point and hillside because you have to to survive you know um but and then the, the deep snow too it just makes the country seem twice or three times as big. It's so tough to climb around and to get to where you need to go. And the bulls run such a tight program. It's post rut. You know, they're usually running solo or they bachelor herd up and they just find these holes in country or these these far off spots that are away from trails. And, and in today's day and age, everybody knows how to use binos and a scope where, you know, when I first started, that was kind of new age tactics, you know, to get good vantage points. And there's levels to that game of believing in your vantage point. Hopefully we'll get into that too. But um, but everybody has binos and scopes. And so these bowls, if they're on a feature that's easy to glass, 
they get shot up or shot out of there or spooked out of there. And so they have to find country that's tough to glass and tough to see them and in these basins and in these holes that are far off trails and off roads. And so it's like the ultimate challenge. And plus, you've got 19,000 non-residents with tags plus all <laughs> residents with tags. And it's all like we didn't draw a special draw or anything. This is all general unit. Anybody can go. Anybody can go and hunt there. And so with that, you get like these high pressure elk that are really tough to find. And then to try to kill a big one, it, it's just such a high degree of difficulty. So like what you did a couple of years ago when you killed that giant, um, you know, it's it's such a feat. And and when you do finally see a big bull, there is no guarantee you're going to kill him, even with a rifle. Like, you are in for a mission. When you finally see a shooter, you may have to travel miles and up and down drainages, and then you get there and the thing isn't going to be there nine times out of ten, you know. So it's such a high degree of difficulty. I learned so much hunting during that late season. I love late season, and, you know, now my focus has kind of switched to a bow, but I want to mix some more of that late season in. Like, I was talking to you, like, I'm, I'm really thinking about those late season Arizona bow tags. Um, you can draw those fairly easy, and the success rate isn't great down there, but you get to hunt the best units in Arizona with those giant bulls in there, and it's just a late season hunt where they're going to have that that same tight program running in bachelor herds, tough to find, but then with the bow and arrow down there, spot and stock. I think that would be really fun. Absolutely, yeah, and they, like, down there in that canyon country too they they'll just like hole up in some like obscure canyons you know and it's not like well it's not like they're traveling a lot i don't feel like during that period of time i mean i've i know a lot of guys that ha- have hunted that those units it's like you get into those canyon country i mean it's almost unshootable with a rifle so that a lot of them don't get killed you know it's just too far but with a bow i mean you can set up and go in there and stock in. I mean, I saw a couple people that did it last year, but it looks pretty rad. It'd be pretty cool to kill one like that late in the year, just spot and stock, you know, cause you're killing, like you're hunting the same unit that takes everybody else, you know, 10 to 15 years to draw. So you're, you have potential to kill like a 400 inch bull, you know, not that that's a requirement, but there's, there's potential to kill something that's like truly like world-class, you know, yeah, absolutely. Well, and you have ex- you have experience down in that country. You've guided New Mexico quite a bit, and then um, for for elk and things. But then you know also Mexico. I saw that you guided for a sheep hunt and um, coos deer down there and things. So you got some experience down there in the south. Yeah, it's pretty. I I like the desert for sure. I, there's you know it's hard for me to pick like if man which one do I like more. You know the desert's cool because you can see so much and there's you know when you get into the animals it's pretty cool. Uh, the mountains, I think though, for me, it just will always captivate some, there's just something that like lights a fire inside of me in the mountains, you know, but that desert stuff, I, I like to mix it up every year. Cause if you just keep pounding out the same ground every year, I feel like it kind of gets old and you're not as sharp, but if you hunt different country every year, you know, you try to see as much as you can. I think you can learn something from every environment that you're in. You know, you can take something you learned in the desert and translate it into the mountains and vice versa you know it just makes you a more well-rounded hunter to be able to have experience in all those varying ecosystems you know 
Dude, you're so right. I always say that. Like hunting different species and different habitats improves your skill set in different ways. And so like all the different habitats that you can hunt just goes to in improving your overall skill set. And you're right. Like it does translate into other country and other situations. And it just makes you that much better and that much more confidence going into new spots. So much of hunting nowadays is so much exploring and scouting and trying to find new locations. And I mean, even when you have a great bear spot or a great elk spot, there's still no guarantee you're going to see something that day. It may take you multiple days on the vantage point or like a lot of these spots I think of as timing. So it can be really good elk hunting for one week out of the year. But the other three, four weeks you go in there, you don't see anything, you know, so you got to just keep exploring. But I do think that gives you confidence to find new areas. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is key too. like last year, I kind of got stuck in a rut, I guess. I mean, I killed a giant bull and I, I saw, I mean, with that bull were six other bulls that were all over 300. And so it was just like, well, I'm going to go pound out that spot until I found, find one of them, you know, and it was just like, we didn't get the weather that I needed. You know, I needed, I needed there to be two plus feet of snow on the ground at that spot. And I never got more than eight inches, you know, and I just, I kept just, having it in my head that I was just going to keep hitting that spot when I really should have been like, I mean, it was a good learning experience. You know, I was just like, if the weather's not right, don't do it. Try something else out, you know, and I learned from that, from being too bullheaded to leave. Um, but, you know, I just, last year I felt like I didn't do enough exploring and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this fall to just trying out a lot of new country. And, you know, I kind of set a goal out for myself this year for in the fall to not hunt anywhere that I've been previously, you know, just to, just to learn new country and see what else is out there and just see, you know, try to find something that maybe you find that hole in the wall where there's a bowl that's never been seen, you know, man, that's so cool. What great self-reflection too, when you can look back at your season or what you did and go, you know, I didn't quite do that right. And I'll get caught in that too, where you have a good spot that's always produced. I keep going back in there and seeing nothing, like hoping they're going to show up or hoping they're going to be there. And very rarely do they show up without the right conditions or the right time of year or something. Like it's sometimes you're just trying to force it to happen. It doesn't always come together. But yeah, good on you. You'll have a good season of exploring. Yeah, it'll be it'll be super fun. Not that I haven't enjoyed my spots closer to home, but I used to like to, I mean, me and my dad, I kind of grew up traveling the state. We'd hunt a new area every year for antelope and mule deer, you know, and just kind of, you know, we explored a lot of Eastern Montana that way. And then, you know, now that I'm older and I really like elk hunting, I've been trying to do it all throughout the state, you know, region, region two, region four, region six, you know, and I'd like to, you know, get one in some of the other regions too, just to kind of, round out the state i guess you know yeah that's what you were saying you want to kill an elk in each one of the seven regions that montana offers elk hunting right yeah exactly yeah how cool yeah it'd be it'd be it'd be cool just to kind of like say that you did it you know because i know a lot of guys not there's anything wrong with but you just stick you know the working class guy isn't going to want to travel in all the way across the state to go hunt elk you know or maybe they get like a weekend or two to do it you know and i'm just trying to set my season up to where i can go to these over-the-counter general units and, you know, spend a week there, spend a week and a half there, you know, and just get to get to experience more of the state because you could spend your whole lifetime hunting this state and never, never see it all, you know. 
man, isn't that tr- the truth? Like this state and even the entire West, like all the Western states, there's so many places to explore and there's so many good critters in each unit. And I'm always looking for the best of the best. I'm looking for the best action, the biggest bulls. Like I, I'm in a constant search for that for my entire life. And so I'm always exploring, always looking at new spots. And sometimes you know, it's not even having to drive across the state or driving to a new location. Sometimes it's exploring within the region that you're hunting or within the area that you're hunting, and you just go into it with a fresh mind. And like, you know, I'm going back to a spot that I've hunted a bunch, you know, years prior. And so what I'll do is I'll mix spots in that I know about that have produced for me, but I've also got three, four, five ideas of new areas that I'm going to go and mix into and go hike into and go look and go learn and, and continuing to to expand my knowledge of this area just by exploring different drainages and different places I haven't been there. But yeah, it's like, it's in our human nature to explore and it's so fun. And especially when you find when it's going off, when you find just that epic elk rut party or that epic late season elk where you're seeing that bachelor herd of bulls, like you see in six bulls over 300 and that giant one you killed, like that's the action I'm looking for. Whether it's mule deer, or antelope or elk, I'm in a continual search for the best spots. You know, that's the most fun, the most action, you know? Oh, absolutely. And sometimes you don't like, you're kind of thinking, oh, this spot might be, might be okay. And then you get in there and it's like insane, you know? And it's like, well, I'm glad I like rolled the dice. You know, a lot of times it doesn't work out. You like roll the dice and you like just come up with nothing. But when you like stumble into that stuff, I mean, it's pretty awesome feeling to be like, I found that spot on my own. You know, like I didn't, you know, I just, happened into it i thought about it scouted it and then all of a sudden you know it's amazing hunting and then (laughs) that makes it worth it you know dude it's the best and and two like i think when you go into these new areas you you um you have to you have to hunt it wholeheartedly like it's easy to go into a new area and not know anything about it it's easy to give up without putting in a full effort or start thinking that the grass is greener somewhere else like i think it's really important when you go into an area to 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 hunt it like with with everything you have and even like just on a morning hunt like you start going into an area and maybe you don't hear any bugles it's not going on you're not seeing much sign it's easy to go turn around but it's amazing if you keep walking and keep exploring just what you'll find and what you'll bump into. And so I always say that, like, when once you decide you're going to hunt a her- an area, like, put you, all of your focus and just figure this is my morning hunt or this is my weekend or this is my three days. I'm going to give it hell in here. Like, I'm either going to find them or I'm going to wear my legs out, you know. I'm I'm going to go give it all I got. <laughs> sure. But don't you think that's so important when you're finding new areas is to believe in them and really hunt them wholeheartedly? Oh, yeah, absolutely, because it's easy to, like, if you're not seeing anything, to be like, ah, oh, I'll try something else. And it is, like, my one outfitter calls it the, like, the squirrel syndrome. You just try to, you just start bouncing around because you don't know, like, oh, man, this place isn't producing. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go here. It's, like, in reality, I feel like you have to put in, like, a couple days in a spot to really figure out if it's, like, worth it or not. Almost. I mean, some areas it's, like, if there's no sign and it doesn't look like anything's been in there in eons, it's, like, probably not a good spot but if it like get in there and it kind of looks man you know there might be some stuff in here i mean it's it's a you know you give it some time and eventually you'll like you'll turn it up they might not be in the very exact zone that you're thinking but they could be like close to it or they could use that as like a transition area you know but like confidence in your spot is huge huge and i like you know 
spring bear hunting has taught me a lot about that because it's like you know you hike up into these areas and you try to glass all this stuff well you got to like commit to it because you can't just like sit there for two hours in the middle of the day and be like oh this isn't worth anything i'm going to try something else out i mean you need to like sit there all day you know and be like glass until prime time's over you know and then like i don't know i think that like bear hunting translates itself very well to like every other kind of hunting like teaching you patience confidence you know commitment to a spot and in an area and then you can really like learn it you know yeah well and you do such a good job like your approach to hunting um like believing in the glass and guys you know glass and guys think that they that they um i get i won't say that they think they do but like to to glass effectively is is like this belief system in your program and it's a process and it takes years to learn you know you'll sit on a vantage point you won't see anything but you could sit on a vantage point in the best place on planet earth to hunt bears elk deer whatever it is and if you're not sitting there at the right time you won't see anything and then you'll hunt off onto a ridgeline and not see but you're right to to commit to those vantage points and like i'll hike up a mountain that's not even where i want to hunt just so i can see the place i want to hunt like i am looking for the the best vantage points that show off the most country and then you just have to sit there and you got to put in your time before you see what's living there you know and and you know you're right too where if you go into an area and there is no sign and you don't see any animals from the vantage point there is a time to call it quits too or to change areas and so like you have to trust your instincts there but but you do like you have to go all in on an area, get to the best vantage points, look it over, and and really give it a good hunt in there to see what's living in there. But you do such a great job, and I think it's just all your experience hunting and guiding of believing in the vantage points and and believing in those spots and having confidence in them. Uh, it, it's such a, a, a important part to being successful, I think, and to seeing animals. Absolutely, I think you know, I think that the guiding element has taught me a lot about that. Cause if you don't have confidence in the spot you're going to, your client can sense that, you know, and then it like, it, the, the dynamic kind of breaks down a little bit. You know, if you're not having confidence in the spots you're going, your, your client's going to sense that it's going to make them leery of like, they're not going to have confidence in you. And so like, you know, guiding has taught me a lot, not only about hunting, but just like, you know, keeping your confidence in where you're going trying to pick the best spots to go to and trying to put yourself in a position every day to like be in the best possible spot. I mean, obviously it doesn't always work out, but you know, I've always said it. I say it to my hunters before they take a shot. I'm like, confidence is key. And I think that has a lot to do with, you know, even like picking a spot, picking a glassing location, you know, and just like really truly like believing it. I mean, you, you are right. Like, there is an instinctive part that, you know, you get there and you're like, yeah, this doesn't look quite right, you know, and then like, it's time to go, but you know, you don't want to get there. And the biggest thing for me on a lot of the glassing spots, is you're just like fighting off the boredom, you know, it's just like when you're not seeing anything, I mean, you got to like fight through that to keep yourself there. Cause if you get like the squirrel syndrome and you start walking, I mean, just think, I mean, I've seen, you see so much more, animals and everything sitting than you do walking you know i mean you're not gonna when you're walking you're not you're not like super aware i guess of everything around you I mean like archery elk is different because you can cover country you can listen for them but it's hard to like look at country when you're walking through it you know it's easier to see it if you sit on a vantage point and look 
across at it or look, you know, look at all the country over, but you start walking around too much and you're just not going to see anything. Man, isn't that the truth? Like you just, you're not covering as much country. Like on a vantage point, you're covering square miles of country that you're watching every opening. And, and these animals have to come into the openings because the openings have the best feed for them. There isn't as much feed in the timber. That's what they use for cover. And so believing in these vantage points and just setting up surveillance where you can see so many miles of country, you, you just cover more. And, and when you're hiking around and in some spots, you have to go hike through and some, some spots are moving vantage points where you hike a ridge, sit down for 15, and you look over a few openings and hike for another 15. And, and elk are that way where you have to, to move in glass a lot. But, man, you're right. Like, you start hiking around and still hunting. You're covering 200 yards at a time, you know, like as you walk through. Oh, like, yeah. you just don't see much. And then, you know, if you do, a lot of times you end up jumping it or spooking it before you ever get a chance to where when you're glassing it, you see them and they're unaware of your presence and you get to make a planned methodical stalk or or play on them without them knowing you're there. And then you know when to slow down and how to slow your, your, your footfalls. And you, you expect when you're going to see them, you know, in, instead of just trying to still hunt everywhere. And us humans, we're just not that quiet moving through the woods either. So I think a lot of no. animals, you know, they hear you coming, they smell you coming, there's wind swirling around to where if you're on a vantage point, you're just also so low impact on the area. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, and I've struggled with clients to like convince them of like, okay, we got to sit here like for a long time and sit here in glass. Cause like, you know, glassing is an art. It's not just something, you know, very few people I've ever witnessed have just like picked up a pair of binos and are just proficient. They're just really good at like sitting there from hours on end and glassing. And you got to like commit your mind to it and like, you know, just go all in. But I get a lot of clients, you know, after they've sat there for, 20 minutes they're like okay where are we going now and you're like dude this is this is it you know like we can you can put 19 miles on your legs today or we can put one mile on our legs and we can sit here and put all the miles on our eyes you know which is invariably a lot easier and just like you're saying man being able to see those animals plan your stock the whole thing is it's so much easier to kill them than like still hunting and i think that you know, it's a weird thing because, you know, a lot of guys from out east, they're not used to this western style of, like, sitting and glassing and patience. I mean, they yeah, they sit in tree stands, but you know, a lot of guys, that like, they like to still hunt from out east. You know, they'll, they'll push through a section of woods, which is highly effective, but, you know, from a guiding standpoint, it's very hard to do with two people. You know, you can do it one guy, and just like you're saying, humans are not quiet. You know, I don't care who you are. I am not the quietest human being in the woods. I mean, it's just hard to be, we have a huge footprint. You know, you think about any other animal, they don't have a foot as big as we do. You know, I mean, grizzly bears and some big black bears, but, you know, we're walking through with big boots and cracking sticks and all that. And I mean, a deer and elk, I mean, their hoof is pretty small. They can go through that woods so quiet. And we're just like bumbling around, you know, hard, hard to still hunt effectively. Yeah, it's so right. Um, yeah, those are the, that's how I like to approach it too. It's just that same way that you do. It's just such an effective way to hunt. But yeah, you have to believe in it and buy into the process and then practice it, you know, because it's like you say, it's a, um, it, it's a feat to be able to sit on those vantage points for eight hours for a day or even four hours or three hours, you know, it's tough to sit there when you're not seeing anything, but it is such an effective way to hunt. Um, 
how, how have the ticks been out there? Dude, honestly, the, uh, I haven't really got into them. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that day that, was, that, that, that we was, went, that was all time. I have never seen ticks that thick. I've got into them pretty bad at times, but do that was ridiculous. I don't know what was going on. That was so disgusting. I, there had to have been a nest up there or something because it was like, I mean, dude, I'm in like Kick Central where I'm like guiding, and I have not. I mean, I haven't. I've had like minimal ticks on me since that. Maybe it was all the ones we sacrificed. Maybe they're afraid of me now. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, that was disgusting. Dude, there was oh, hundreds was of gross. them. Hundreds of them. I mean, I can deal with a tick crawling on me here or there. But dude, at one point, I'm like, hey, Brandon, it, it just lean down. Let me grab these things. I pick like six or seven off your hood at one point, like all <laughs> crawling on your hood. Dude, they were all time. That was so gross. You had that one on your eye, like just beeline in it. I mean, too. Oh. Oh, dude, I had so oh, many face yeah. crawlers because I had my hood on, and they'd crawl up me and off my hood, and all of a sudden I'd feel them on my face, or I had two in my eyebrow. The one that worried me the worst was one crawled in my ear, and I felt him, and I missed him on the first grab, and I thought he was going to go inside my ear hole. Oh, that's so gross. That's <laughs> oh, so gross. I still found him like a day later. When I got home, they were still crawling around my truck and on my gear and shit. Like, there was a bunch of them, man. Oh. Oh, yeah. I'd catch him, like, crawling across my dashboard in my truck. I'm like, man, this has been days. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, those things can just uh, be evil. Yeah. Oh, man, that was like, I've never seen. So, like, when we were sitting there at one point, I saw four ticks, like, bombing towards me. And they were all, like, crawling all over each other. Like, it was a race to who could get there first. I mean, they're, like, knocking each other out of the way. I mean, it was like, that was rugged, man. Dude, I don't know what was going on. I think we were in a nest of them. Because then we started walking around. Yeah. They weren't nearly as bad when we were walking around. But, dude, where we were sitting, I have never seen so many. We killed hundreds of them up there because we started killing them because we thought the same ones were crawling on us. That was nuts, man. That was that was all time for sure. Yeah, that was oh, wicked. Man. But, um, well, dude, we got to get out again. Um, so let's try to plan like a mule deer hunt this year, see if we can hook up for one of those. And then we talked about going to Alaska for a bear hunt. Like, let's really look into those logistics and touch uh, bases. Those coastal bears just get so big, man. That would be so fun with you, whether we get a skiff boat or whether we go on an island or whatever we figure out. But let's come up with some options and see if we can put something together. Yeah, man, that'd be all. I that I would love to go up to AK and kill a bear up there, like coastal, you know. Even that, do that mule deer hunt sounds super fun too. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll definitely get together on that, and then yeah, let's start working on the logistics. I'd love to team up with you when, with an AK bear hunt, and maybe bring another guy or two along and help with expenses, and um, go out there and try to kill one of those giant coastal bears. Like we have big bears in Montana, but man, those Alaska coastal bears just get so big on the average. Oh, yeah, not like, yeah, we don't even have anything close. Even like that big bear guided, I mean, that's like, I'm not saying that's small, but dude, you're getting bears that are seven and a half feet, and they're just, dwarf. I mean, their food source is so much richer, there's no way they can, there's no way our bears can, like, compete with that, you know? Even like northwest Montana, where there is a lot of lush forage, I mean, they just don't get that same nutrient level that, like, that coastal grass and that coastal ecosystem gets, you know? 
Absolutely. Yeah, let's put something together. Let's um we'll touch bases with our contacts and kind of look up some information and see if we can figure out like a do it yourself public land hunt there. Maybe go next year um you know see see if we can work out the logistics. But man, it'd be super fun. I have really enjoyed getting to meet you. You're the perfect guest for the podcast. So thanks for taking time this morning and jumping on. Oh yeah, man, for sure. It was a pleasure. Yep. And uh yeah, we'll connect, keep in touch and get on a hunt soon. So yeah, um good luck the rest of the season. Knock down that giant you're looking for. Cool man, thanks. All right, talk soon. All right, later. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Yeah, really fun conversation with Brandon. Um the guy is so knowledgeable. I don't run into many spring bear hunters or bear hunters in general that um I don't want to say no more than me, but have more experience than me and um, have the insight. You know, I just get so many days bear hunting because I'm with my bow. So I don't get it done on the fifth or sixth day bear hunting. You know, I get 20 days in a season. And so I'm able to learn a bunch. And Brandon, through guiding, he hunts for himself for bears. And then he's able to guide these guys all these days, including elk hunting. It's the same thing. Just a bunch of experience uh, guiding these guys elk hunting along with his own hunting. And, you know, I get the same experience like uh, taking family and friends out and things of that nature but just really fun to have an in-depth conversation with a a fellow public lander that's out there working hard and, and getting it done so yeah i really enjoyed it um I say guy's got a great sense of humor. He's just fun to hang out with. So we did one day bear hunt. We're going to plan a, we're going to plan a hunt here in the future. So, um, I want to connect with him and head out somewhere. But, uh, yeah, this, uh, this podcast is, um, if nothing else, it's been so great for networking for me. I've just met so many great people through this podcast and these in-depth conversations. You build a relationship with these guys and, um, yeah, it's just um, it's a really fun opportunity for me to be able to compare notes with these guys and then put it out to everybody. So um, it, it it's been a really cool deal. So um, Brandon Purcell, that's the podcast. Let's see, uh, a sponsor for today's show, Sitka Gear. Uh, Sitka just builds the best technical mountaineering gear on the planet. I am so impressed with those with their gear. In my younger years, when I first started hunting high country mule deer, it was essential for me to have the right gear to be able to be up there and be able to survive. And the hunting gear just didn't make the cut. Um, so I used a lot of mountaineering gear and I can tell you now that this Sitka gear is better than the mountaineering gear I was using. Um, they, they just work so hard to evolve the design to, to fit us, you know, fit and make it for us backcountry hunters. So I'm just so impressed with everything they come out with. Um, you know, I've got my system that I absolutely love that I use for backcountry, for late season, for early season, for traveling hunts. They, they just have something that, that fits my needs for every different condition and, and habitat I run against. So, um, if you guys are in the market for new gear, upgrade one piece at a time, make sure to check out Sika. They, they honestly build the best gear out there. So, um, with that over there at Eastman's, yeah, just working away on this podcast. Boy, everything's been going great. Just trying to line up a bunch here and get ready for hunting season. Um, we're just in the crunch here where we're really preparing for these hunts. Uh, I've got to sit down this week and record that solo podcast about preparing for your hunt. I've been taking a bunch of notes about making a hunt plan and, um, a backup plan and, um, you know, planning out scouting days and, um, how many days I have to hunt. And then, you know, just putting in the work, just putting in the trail miles, um, you know, more so elevation than miles, but you know, miles comes along with it. And I, I love to endure and go on those longer ones. So yeah, I've been, uh, sacrificing sleep, waking up early, 
um, getting my runs in, getting in my work. I got that bow just absolutely shooting right now. Um, that thing is so deadly. Um, so yeah, I mean, I am ready for season. I don't have uh, much more gear to get. I mean, pretty much pack my food. I get started hunting here pretty quick. I'm going to make a, a trip out to Hawaii. I just can't help myself. Like hunting those axes is so fun. And uh, I drew lanai, uh, a mouflon tag out there. So I'm going to go out and hunt mouflon there. Um, I have yet to harvest a mouflon. Going to hunt a little axis and just hang out with my uh, Hawaii buddies out there and have a good time. So uh, that's coming up at the end of the month. I have that to look forward to. So um, yeah, just working hard to, uh, uh, you know, the, the balance of life, the spending time with family, getting my work done, taking care of my responsibilities, training for these hunts, and then just can't wait to let my legs loose during season. It's going to be an absolute riot. So I know you guys are looking forward to it. seems like every year I just come in uh, better and more prepared, ready for the challenge and um, it, it seems like every year I get more and more excited about it. So I just can't wait for big game season. Um, I've got a bunch of tags. I don't know what I'm going to do for next season as I was pretty aggressive this year with tags. But uh, I only live once and they're a bunch of cool adventures and uh, got the support of my family. And um, I'm just ready to rock and roll here. So take care of my responsibilities and uh, I'm going to check out for a while and um, go chase some monster bucks and bulls around the country. So um, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. I know you guys are looking forward to it too. It's the reason you're listening to this podcast. And, uh, I, I just, uh, I always want to thank you guys for all the support. Um, so nice to have the support of the podcast and, um, yeah, it's, it's just, a it's a great thing. So, um, thanks for that guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the iTunes reviews. Um, thanks for the follow on social media, uh, IG. I'll try to keep up there with me. It's a balance. I got to have a, a healthy relationship with that phone and social media. That God dang screen time just sneaks up on me, you know? And so I just got to be, um, more productive with my time. If I, if I get done with my work and get done with my stuff, like I can go enjoy time with, you know, go get a run with my daughters or go, you know, fishing down at the river, whatever it is, but it just seems like if I'm more productive with my time, um, I can get things done and then, you know, get out and enjoy more life, get my run in every night, my heat training for Lanai, Lanai is going to be so hot, you guys, um, it is so humid, so hot, and so dry there late July, uh, especially uh, where I'm headed there on Lanai. So uh, it ought to be pretty hot. So I've been doing a lot of heat training in the sauna and getting ready for that as Montana hasn't had any heat yet. Um, it's been kind of a, a wet and rainy and uh, cooler summer, which I don't mind at all. But uh, anyways, so trying to get my heat training in to get ready for Lanai, but uh, just do all the little things here. Um, to get ready for season. So uh, absolutely can't wait. Thanks again, guys. I'll check in with you next week. I'll check in with you this week. I'm going to get that solo podcast done, remember? Okay, it's on my list. I'm going to get it done. Check in with you later this week.